Welcome to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. A couple of months ago, David asked Trent Jones to speak um, on Sunday, this Sunday, and so we're excited to have Trent speak. He's going to be preaching this morning, continuing on in Galatians, and so we're excited to have Trent. Trent and uh, Kelsey, his wife, I've been at Stonebridge, it's been seven years. They were introduced together by Jeremy a long time ago, and uh, Trent's one of our small group leaders. He is also the Bible and English teacher at Mount Bethel Christian Academy. He's also a cross-country coach, and uh, so we're excited to have him here this morning. If you get to talk to Trent, and, and when you get to know him a little bit more, you will see his love for the Lord, his love for the Word, and his love for truth, and so we are all thankful, um, Trent, to have you come share this morning. It's going to be a blessing and a gift to our whole family. Um, yeah, so uh, Matt mentioned I'm a high school teacher. I teach at Mount Bethel Christian Academy, teach English and Bible. Um, so it's actually really exciting. I get to talk about the Bible every day, uh, all day, to a bunch of teenagers. Super fun. Um, and I teach English. I, I ultimately went into English uh, because it was my kind of back door into talking about philosophy and theology. I went to a public school and I like, would read all these novels in English class and got to talk about all these really great, awesome ideas. And I was like, oh, yeah, like, let's get into that. Um, and then I found out in college there's a whole discipline that is like all of that without the literature. And so that's theology. And, uh, and so I got really pumped. I uh, pursued theology for a little bit. Um, yeah, I love it. I love teaching kids and getting to work with them each day. Um, you know, teaching is kind of a unique profession, though, um, in the sense that uh, it's one of the only places where I have pretty small classes. You know, there's like 10, 15 kids in there at most. And so when I'm talking to them, it's pretty much a conversation. And teaching is like a weird thing because you'll be having a conversation. Know, nowhere else do you have a conversation with someone. And then they just go, <sighs> or like roll their eyes or, you know, like put their head down while you're having a conversation with them. And uh, so, but that's, you know, that's just routine. That's day, daily life for me. So if y'all want to make me feel comfortable, if I could get a couple eye rolls or, you know, just sighs throughout, that would help me out. People online, you can uh, play games on your computer uh, while we're doing this. That would, you know, then it'd be a little bit more accurate. So, um, no, but I, I'm excited to talk to y'all about um, Galatians. Uh, so the passage that we're going to be in is Galatians 5, verses 1 through 12. So if y'all want, y'all can go ahead and take out your Bibles and, uh, and follow along. I think they'll have it on the screen, too. <clears throat> All right, Galatians 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working in love. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, 
and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. All right, so uh, David asked me to, uh, started going through the process of asking me to preach a couple months ago, and uh, at the time, uh, we didn't know what passage I was going to be talking on. He's like, oh, we'll figure out a date first, and the passage would come later, but I don't know. Uh, it feels like after verse 12, maybe he gave this to me on purpose, um, <laughs> but it, anyways, it's pretty shocking, right? I mean, so we, we kind of need to get the elephant out of the room, I think, so that we can kind of dig into the, the meat of what Paul is doing here. Um, so Galatians 5, this first part of Galatians 5, uh, Paul's pretty upset. Uh, starting in verse 7, he's going on and he's directing some really uh, heavy criticism towards uh, the opposing party uh, in, in, the, in the group, the church of Galatia, right? So um, yeah, we'll call them the circumcision party, uh, the Judaizers, like, all, like that's the, all common names for them. Um, and as we've seen, He's been kind of addressed, the whole letter's kind of been uh, really addressing back and forth uh, these people who are leading the church in Galatia astray. Um, so, so he starts off with, uh, in verse 7, he says, you were running well, who hindered you from obeying the truth? Um, do I have any runners in here? Anyone trained for a 5K or a marathon or anything like that? Yeah, a couple in there, that's nice. Okay, good. I'm a cross-country coach. Uh, I love running. It's awesome. It's, uh, it's actually the best sport, the most biblical sport. Um, it, you, can, <laughs> you can check me on that. Uh, it comes up more often. Wrestling is like a close second, but other than that, you know. Um, so, yeah, I know I'm a runner, and I love running. Uh, but the thing about running is when you are training for a race, you have some goal that you're trying to get to, Right? And then uh, if, you're, if you're thinking about it, you'll, you'll get a plan and you'll kind of like work through the plan, right? And uh, the way that motivation works for a lot of us is as long as you're sticking to the plan, uh, you're, you're continuing the course, you know that you're going to eventually accomplish the goal. If it's a good plan, you'll get to the goal and you'll be doing good, right? Uh, but there's lots of things that can come up that can distract us from that plan, I am currently in the middle of being distracted from a running plan that I was hoping to do. Um, and so when you get hindered in your running plan, like you, you're going along fine, it doesn't matter, you could go a couple weeks, a couple months, doing really well, but then something takes you off course and, and it really distracts from the goal that you're trying to achieve. And in some cases, you won't achieve the goal because your training got off, off course at some point. And so I actually think this is a really helpful um, image for us with what's happening in the Galatian church, right? So uh, Paul has started this community of believers, and they, they started off well. They were pursuing the gospel, but something's happening, and, and they're, they're off course, right? They're getting off their training plan, whatever you want to think about. Um, and so it's pretty important uh, because without picking back up, without, without following the step-by-step, step, this is how we live in right relationship with God, uh, they, they ultimately won't get to the goal, which is uh, relationship and salvation in Jesus, right? So, um, yeah, so he, he's using this to kind of get a, a sense of it's really important um, what's going on here. And uh, the language that Paul is using might be a shock to us. It should be kind of a shock to us. It's pretty harsh language, um, it, it, I mean, in some ways, we might even think, like, I'm not sure that's so, so Christian to be saying about people, um, especially that verse 12, right? So 
But in order to understand what Paul is saying, like why he's using such kind of offensive language, we have to understand the gravity of the situation here. Uh, for Paul, there's nothing less is at stake than the very salvation, the very eternal relationship with God of the community in Galatia, right? So uh, it's, it's, a severe, um, it's a severe words from Paul for an incredibly important situation. So uh, we see that he's, he's combating errant teaching, right? He's combating some like problems in what people are teaching. And the, we've talked about this a little bit before, right? So he's talking about the problems that come up um, with teaching that you can do something in addition to Christ. Uh, and that's really the problem. Anything in addition to Christ is another gospel, and, uh, and we see that in verse 4 when he says that if you were to accept uh, circumcision, um, you are severed from Christ. You who would accept this as the way to become uh, right with God. And so it's an incredibly dire situation, right? Um, and, and the bad teaching, this little bad teaching, it can spread. Uh, he uses the image of leaven and leavening the whole lump, right? That's a common image in the Bible. We see that pretty often. And, uh, you know, Jesus said it of the Pharisees, the teaching of the Pharisees. But, and Paul's here now saying it about this group, the circumcision party. And, and he's saying, listen, if, if you let this in, even a little bit, it's going to spread, it's going to take over, and then that's going, to be, that's going to be a much bigger problem, right? It's not that this is not a problem at all, but if you let just a little, what it does, it starts, starts this way, right? It says, okay, maybe we should eat, uh, eat kosher a little bit more. You know, like, just, just have a, a meal kosher. And then, then that group of people who are eating kosher, they start to, like, you know, I think everyone should really eat kosher on these days, at least, at least for church, right? Because it's, you know, Sunday, so it's a holy day, that kind of thing. But then that develops this mentality that really um, eating kosher is how we become a good Christian, how we become right with God, all that kind of stuff. And it spreads. And then all of a sudden you've got a community that now believes that in order to be right with Christ, you have to do X, Y, and Z things, and that's ultimately what's putting you in right relationship. And, and the problem with that is that's not the gospel at all. And placing your faith in something other than the gospel, uh, it severs us from Christ. It's incredibly important that we are following the right gospel. And the Galatians, they, they know the truth. Paul's just trying to call them back to the right, the right thing. Also, I imagine Paul's probably a little bit personally uh, like upset with this because uh, they, apparently something has been spread that he's teaching that circumcision is the right way to move on in, in righteousness. And so he's addressing the fact that not only are people teaching that you can be saved through this work of the law, but they're also teaching that Paul accepts it too. He's like, no, he, yeah, he believes it. And what they're doing is they're sowing this distrust uh, about Paul with the Galatian community. And that's, that's also really problematic, right? And, and we've actually seen Paul is, has addressed that accusation uh, in a few other places, right? He's, he's been developing, where does his authority come from? Uh, what is the gospel that he's presenting? He's reminding them, bringing them back to what it is that's important in the first place. Um, yeah, and, and so he's, he's frustrated, I'm sure, um, and so he, he ends with 
Uh, and I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Unsettle, but remember, unsettling for this means that they're leading you into another gospel. I wish that those who are uh, taking you away from your first love, right, who are moving you away from uh, the following God through the genuine gospel, and they're, they're trying to substitute it for a different gospel, one that's got no power to save you. And so when Paul says that he wishes they would emasculate themselves, uh, pretty harsh phrase. And I keep the phrase here. Some of your translations might, uh, might take it out, like I wish that they would cut themselves off or something like that, cut themselves off from the community, whatever. But I think it's important for us to get the force of the language that Paul is using, because this is really what he's, what he's saying, right? And, and that's hard for us because it seems so, uh, so unchristian, but it, at the same time, uh, it, it's so important that they get this right. And, and really, so there's, there's some play on the word here a little bit, right? So um, if you know about circumcision, you know, emasculating yourself is just, the, it's just taking it a step further in Paul's view, right? He said, just go ahead and go the whole way. Okay, uh, but there's, there's even more context to this. It's a little bit more loaded than just that, right? Like if, you, if they actually did this, if they went the full way, like Paul is talking about. Um, he's actually referencing here uh, a verse in Deuteronomy 23, right? It says, no one who has been emasculated may enter the assembly of the Lord. So in one sense, he's saying, yeah, just keep on going and uh, you'll get you know, what you deserve. But it's not even just that. He's saying, I wish these people would cut themselves off from the community as well. Because their influence in the community is destroying the, the ability of this church to follow the gospel. And there's not much more important than our ability to follow and accept the gospel, to accept the grace of Christ, uh, which transforms us, right? Okay, so let's, let's move on from that. Because uh, probably circumcision is not the thing that we are most concerned with today. Um, hopefully not, right? So we, we're not wondering what should we do here. Um, what, we, what's more, what circumcision really is for us is uh, we can see this is the, the outward sign, the outward actions to try and make yourself part of the community of God uh, outside of relying on, our, on his grace. And so let's, uh, let's go back to the first part because I think this is where the meat of what we can, we can bring from today is. is in, it's gonna be in verses one through six. But, uh, you know, we, we have to address, you know, what Paul says, the elephant in the room, right? All right, so let's go back to verse one. So he says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Uh, yeah, freedom, love it. Love freedom. It's amazing. I, you know, American, so freedom is one of my top virtues, right? Like it's a, I'm super pumped about freedom. Um, but the question, we got to figure out what do we mean when we say freedom, right? So everyone's behind like, yeah, I'd love to be free, but I think there's some misunderstanding in how we approach what it means to be free at all, right? So a lot of times we think that freedom just means I do whatever I want, um, yeah, like I, I don't live in a place with an HOA uh, sound because I want to do whatever I want on my land, right? Uh, I don't know, but I've heard that HOAs don't let you do that. So um, yeah, but like, I, yeah, I value freedom. I want to do whatever I want. But, uh, but that's, not, that's not it with uh, freedom. I can't actually do whatever I want on my property, right? So that, that's, that's a different thing. Um, 
what freedom really is, is uh, the ability to flourish within certain boundaries. When we say we want freedom, we don't actually want no boundaries at all. We want to be able to flourish, to live well within those boundaries, the good boundaries, not oppressive boundaries, right? So let me give you an example. All right, so uh, anyone play basketball, organized sports of some sort with rules? Yeah. Uh, so I do not play basketball, very bad at basketball. Um, but when I started teaching, they did this like parent-teacher basketball game night thing. It's like for the tip-off of the basketball season, super fun. Um, and they have like a parent-teacher game. And so I was young and relatively athletic. And so they're like, hey, uh, you're going to play in this. I didn't have a choice uh, I'd never played basketball before in my life. I don't know the rules. I still don't know the rules, um, but it was pretty evident pretty quickly I had no clue what I was doing. <laughs> but the thing about being a runner is that uh, my approach to athletics has been if I don't know what to do, if I don't have skill or knowledge about what to do, I'll just work more and run more. And that works really great for cross country, by the way. Uh, super good approach to that. But it does not work as good for basketball. So... I didn't know the rules, and so I knew that the point was to, like, get the ball from people, and I made it my, like, I was like, I can be everywhere the ball is. I'm constantly running, and it doesn't bother me. I love running. That's my favorite part. It's when I get there that I have problems, and so I was, I was you know, like, okay, well, the, the point's to get the ball, and I was like, well, they're dribbling it with their hands. Like, I, if I just remove their hand, the ball's free for me. So I was just slapping people's hands, like taking it out. And people were blowing the whistle at me. I had no clue what was going on, right? And I was just like, ah, the guy got me. I don't know. Was that a foul? It didn't seem very aggressive. I was just, you know, just tapped his hand. And, uh, and then, you know, like the ball's like falling out. And so like, I was like, oh, no, the guy's going to get it. And I kick it away, you know, so like it runs away. <laughs> I found out, I think, I'm still not 100%. I found out that hitting people's hand is like the definition of a foul. And kicking the ball is just not acceptable in basketball ever. But I didn't know that, right? And in some senses, I was perfectly free in that game of basketball. No rules constrained me because I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't have any rules. Uh, if you've ever played a game of any sort with like a two-year-old, we currently have a two-year-old right now. She's almost three. You try and play an organized game with a two-year-old, you can't play a game with a two-year-old. Because there are no rules. And if there are rules, you don't know them, but they do. And so the whole thing is out, right? And so uh, this idea that we want just absolutely no rules, that's nonsense. It's freedom, sort of, but it's not freedom, right? It doesn't free us up to do anything. I can't play the game if I don't know the rules. If I don't operate within the boundaries, I'm just walking around slapping people's hands, right? On the other hand, though, there's, there's this idea of, like, okay, we love the rules too much, right? Uh, you can imagine a basketball player who, they know all the rules, um, but they're so concerned with not breaking one of the rules that they can't, they can't really play the game either, right? They, they're constantly, I mean, you know, like, if slapping someone's hand is a foul and, like, fouls are bad, then just not going to get that close to them, you know? Uh, I don't know, just half-hearted attempts because you don't, wanna, you don't wanna break the rules. Neither of those is a helpful picture for how to, how to play freely, right? How to play the game freely. And, uh, and if you think this is all about basketball, I am, I am eventually getting us back to uh, what Paul's talking about, right? But what we need, we need to 
We need to operate within the boundaries, but we need to be free to not be so worried about the rules, but to just play the game, which of course includes the rules, right? But, but we want to be free to operate uh, in the way that we can to, to play the game well. And so uh, if you're familiar with anything that Paul has said before, uh, he actually unpacks this idea of freedom and uh, yoking yourself to become a slave to something. He unpacks that in, a, in another place in Romans. So uh, throughout Romans, Paul is kind of working us through what does it look like to be obedient to the law, but also free from the law. Uh, and the first part of Romans, he's really establishing one core fact. Without Christ, we're slaves to sin. We're, we're bound by our sin. And so what looks like freedom to us, we can do whatever we want is actually the thing that enslaves us. It's this, the sin that we pursue. It becomes a master to us, and we can't break free from it, right? And, and before Jesus, that's where we all are. We, we start out enslaved to our sin. We're bound. We, we can't fix ourselves. But Paul also talks about, uh, so yeah, we've been set free from sin. But he also says now we're slaves to righteousness, though. And... Uh, and we're putting aside the law. The law couldn't accomplish it either, right? So there's slavery on two, two aspects there, right? We're slaves to sin when we just go and get whatever we want, do whatever we want at any time. But if we try to just grin and bear it to do all the rules by ourselves, uh, we become enslaved to a law. And what's worse, we can't even do it then, right? Even if we knew all the rules and we just made that our focus, we try really hard, I'm gonna obey all the rules, we can't do it. The law is not able to save us, um, even if we were working it out really, really hard, right? But instead, we're slaves to righteousness. Kind of sounds contradictory to this whole for freedom, Christ has set us free thing, right? So in Romans, he's like, no, like we're slaves to righteousness then, right? Because, and he's kind of anticipating like our response, okay? So he says, you know, uh, you've been set free from the law. And so we're, our natural reaction is like, sweet, I can do whatever I want. He says, actually, by no means, that's not what this means at all. In fact, you're slaves to righteousness. And slavery, is, a, is kind of a, a problematic image for us, which is good, right? We, uh, we don't really relate well to this idea of slavery. And I think that that's actually a good thing. But what we, maybe a better image, and this is the image that Paul uses in Galatians, is that uh, we're no longer slaves to the law. We're, instead, we're sons and daughters to the king, right? So to be a son and a daughter, I bring this up with my, uh, my students some, right? To be a son and a daughter is like slavery, but it's not, right? So like the, you're, you're under someone else's authority, but it's very, it's qualitatively completely different, right, than being a slave to someone. And so this is maybe a better image for us. We're, we're, we've been set free from slavery to sin and to the law but we are sons and daughters of God. And being a son and a daughter means that we have an obligation to obey our parents. But it's, it's not an obligation that's forced on us. It's not, it's not an obligation that, um, that's burdensome to us or it shouldn't be right because we know that our parents care about us. They love us. And when your parents, when, when someone loves you, their instructions for you, their boundaries but they're boundaries that are meant to make you flourish. 
Um, and that's, that's kind of like our submission to God here, right? For freedom, Christ has set us free. He set us free from the bondage of sin and the bondage of the law. And instead, he's brought us into uh, this free life as a son or a daughter of God. Comes with boundaries, but it's boundaries that allow us to live life uh, fully. And so, um, yeah, so this is super important, right? The, this freedom, uh, we can't go back to the slavery that we were set free from. That would be absurd to be rele- released from something and then go back to serving it anyways. And in fact, Paul says that it's actually impossible. You can't be both liberated and slaves to the law at the same time. And so we're going to kind of keep going. He says, um, I say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await the hope of righteousness. So, here, Paul is setting us up to, to realize we can't do Christ and something. Um, and, and it seems, maybe it's a little shocking. It's like, okay, to be cut off from Christ, to be severed from Christ because I accept one part of the law, that seems a little harsh to us. Um, a lot of us are like, no, but I thought the law is good, right? Like, can't we do that? But what he's talking about when he says, if you accept the law, accept circumcision here, that's the example, we may stand in the law. Um, If you accept the law, then what you have done is you've moved your faith from grace, from Jesus, and you've, you've placed it in this law. You can't serve two things at one time. You can't serve two masters at the same time. You're always either following one or following a different one. Uh, So far, I've kind of unpacked two kinds of ways that we can serve uh, problematic masters, right? So in the the one sense, um, we can serve sin and we're bound to that. In the other sense, we can serve the law. A great example of that is uh, the parable of the prodigal son. Um, So we're going through this uh, book, The Prodigal God, in our small group with Tim Keller. Um, well, he wrote the book, he's not there, but uh, we, we went, we're going through this book and it, it gives a really great uh, picture of how this works, right? So a lot of us are really familiar with the prodigal son. He goes off to do what he wants. He's pursuing freedom the way we think of it. Unlimited, I do whatever I want, freedom. Um, and then, you know, th- the world beats him up and he comes back and the father embraces him, Right? And, uh, and this is maybe uh, key for us. That's kind of how it works for us. It, when we pursue unlimited freedom, uh, pursuing any of our sins all of the time, our sin has a way of kind of beating us up and showing us that it's wrong, right? Uh, it doesn't take too long of committed, being committed to a life of sin to, to realize that this is not freeing me up at all. I feel, I feel more enslaved than I ever have. But on the other hand, the son that we often don't talk about as much is the older brother. Um, I'm an older brother in the characteristic way. I'm literally an older brother. But also, I love rules. If you give me a rule, I will follow it. It's so nice. It's clear. I know what to do. Uh, 
And the older brother followed the rules well. He, he did what his father asked him to do, but his relationship with the father was broken as well. And we see that when the son returns, right? Because he, he goes to the father and says, I've done all these things. Like, why, why don't I get the rewards too? I thought, like, because I did the right stuff, I should get the reward. And there's, that's kind of the problem, right? If, it's, if our mentality is, because I did the right thing, God should reward me, that's, that's an issue. Or, if, if, maybe more telling, if our idea is, because I did the right thing, I'll have a good relationship with God. It's not quite it. Uh, because what we're doing is we're not placing our faith in the actual relationship with God. We're placing our faith in either ourselves, sin, whatever. We're, we want freedom unlimited. Or we've placed our faith in the law, our obedience, my ability to do the right things. Um, both of which are problematic ways. We, we're, neither one is free. And uh, Paul here in Galatians is saying, for freedom... Uh, Christ has set us free. Don't go back to a yoke of slavery. So that leaves us kind of uh, without a good image, right? We're like, okay, I see two bad images. That's great. Uh, where's the good image? How do, what do I know? How do I do, right? So uh, I think actually the best image for how do we live freely um, within the boundaries that God has set for us is actually Jesus, right? So, surprise. Uh, he's, the, he's the best example. Um, he's the best example because of anyone who could live freely however he wanted, he was, he's the person, right? He could have done it. Um, but we see, actually, that even when Jesus is free in an unlimited sense, he's actually, he understands that being free is being uh, submitted to the authority of the Father. And so before uh, Jesus' arrest, he's praying to God and he says, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours, right? So that we, we've probably familiar with that. And I think this is just a great picture of what it looks like to be free, open. Like he's, he's set free from the bondage of uh, sin and of the law, and yet his, he's working within the boundaries of God's good will for him. He's submitted like a son to his father, because he, he trusts that God's plan is, is, gonna, is gonna be the best. And so when we try and take the burden on ourselves, we try and say, you know what, I'm gonna buckle down, I'm just gonna do more stuff. Um, that's just another way of us saying, I don't really trust what Jesus has done. Um, I'm gonna try and trust myself. But probably what's happening for most of us is not that we have committed wholesale to, I'm not going to trust in Jesus' grace. I'm going to really focus on my works, and that's going to be the thing that's going to um, like save me. Well, we've probably done, we've inherited this mentality that we need to actually just diversify a little bit, right? Uh, I don't know much about stocks, so y'all can correct me if I'm wrong. But what I understand is basically, if you put all of your money in one stock, and that stock plummets, bad right? Like, it's, you, you're done because it's gone, right? Uh, and so, you know, just common sense wisdom. It's like, okay, I'm not going to put all my stuff in one thing. I'm going to spread it out so that if one of them fails, like, not all my money is gone, but if some of them, you know, it's like, oh, cool. It's like this kind of game where you can, you can make sure that you're always on the up and up, right? Because you have put your, you spread your portfolio out enough. Um, but that's not how Jesus uh, that's not an option Jesus gives us. 
He doesn't say, hey, you can put uh, some of your faith in me and my uh, grace for you. But you can also, you know, like, do that work at the chair. That's also like a good plus for you, so maybe that'll help you. Uh, oh, also maybe, uh, you know, you're, you, you're really good at following the rules. That'll help you out too. Uh, if we start diversifying our trust like that, uh, Paul's words to us is that it's not just, you know, not good. It's, it's actually cutting us off from Christ because we can only ever be all in wherever we are. And in terms of relationship, you can only be all in in a relationship. You can't be in multiple relationships, uh, which maybe in our current age is like a, like a revolutionary statement or something like that. But, but if you think about it, if you think it in relational terms, to be in a relationship with one person means that you're not in relationships with other people, right? We get that. You can't be dabbling in relationships with other people. That's not okay because, and that's what Christ has called, that's what God has called us to we're in relationship with God. And maybe this is a good image for you, relationship, right? The, the idea that we could somehow be wholly invested in our relationship with Jesus, but then also secondarily invested in all these other things, hoping that maybe these will work out too if, if Jesus falls through. We won't say that to ourselves, but we, we do it a lot, right? We put a lot of our stock or a lot of our faith and trust in all these other avenues. And they're ultimately... Uh, insufficient, right? That's pursuing something other than the gospel. It's a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. So Paul kind of reaches the the pinnacle here in verse six, and this is where I want to kind of focus on for a second. So he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So if this has all been a little confusing, it's like, okay, this is, this is quite a lot to think about. He summarizes it for us. This is a really central statement, right? Faith working through love. That's what matters. If you're not sure, does this matter, does it not matter? Here's what matters. Faith working through love. And so uh, as, as we kind of like bring it to a close, I want us to think about uh, each of these three dimensions because I think that they can illuminate uh, what, what our relationship with Jesus is like right now, right? And that's the, that's the important thing. Foundationally, uh, faith is the most important piece here. Faith is where everything else springs from, right? So love, works, all that comes from uh, an utter reliance and trust in in Jesus. And so the question I want you to think about is, have I been diversifying my portfolio with Jesus? Have I been putting stock in a bunch of other things other than the grace of Jesus, Um, Am I trying to work harder to be accepted by God? Uh, Or have I trusted that his grace is sufficient for me? Uh, That his grace is the thing that redeems me and it's not his grace plus my works, right? That's foundational. If you don't have that, the the rest of the stuff doesn't matter, right? But, and if you're wondering, okay, like how does this work? Also ask yourself the next question, works. Do I see fruit uh, do I see evidence that God is working through me? Because when you place your trust in him completely, the works flow out. And uh, I, I love the image of a vine, uh, of a fruit tree, anything like that. You don't have to work to produce fruit as a tree. You just be, be the tree. 
That's the, probably the hardest thing for us to do, right? Because we want just a, teen, I want to like a five-step process to producing fruit. And it's really just a one-step process. It's trust in Jesus. It's uh, place your faith, your whole faith in Jesus. Be connected to the Father. And uh, he gives us a preview of what that's going to look like. And through the Spirit by faith, we await, we hope for righteousness that's, that's coming. So, uh, one thing to know, like, where, where are you at? Can you look at your life and say, where's the fruit? Am I producing fruit? That'll give you evidence of, is there faith that's producing fruit? And if you're not sure, uh, ask God to show you, like, how, what do you want me to do, God? How can I trust you better and leave the producing of fruit up to you? And then, uh, finally, love. Love is a really, really big concept in the Bible. We don't have time to go through all of it, but uh, just for, for a moment, just think about the motivation of you doing the works. Is this because you love people and you love God? And, and only you can know that, and sometimes it's even hard for us to know, is this because I love God or love people, or is this just because I'm trying to work really hard? And, and I wouldn't say you need to be anxious about all of that stuff. I think we can just ask him. We can just ask God, can you show me if what I'm doing is motivated from love or if what I'm doing is motivated from an attempt to, to make you love me, to make you uh, save me, to put me back in right relationship by force. And so uh, as Bo comes up, I, w- I want to just close us in a word of prayer. I want you to, to think um, just on these three areas, right? So am I diversifying my portfolio. Is there a way, just ask God, God, would you show me uh, where I am placing my trust, my faith in things that are not you? Uh, You don't have to work it up, you don't have to contrive, just just ask him and he'll show you, right? Uh, It works, just ask God to say, say, hey, I, I want to do good works out of faith and trust in you. Uh, maybe ask God to show you where, where's an area that he's calling you to produce fruit. Uh, and then love. Um, if you're struggling with uh, whether or not you even enjoy doing the service or the works that you're doing, um, ask God to, to stir up an affection in you for, for his works, his people, and for him. God, I I thank you for the opportunity that we have to come and reflect on uh, on your love for us, God, in your making a way for us through grace that's unmerited by our own works. I pray, Father, that you would just be with uh, everyone in the congregation, Lord, that that you would search our our hearts, Lord, convict us where we need conviction. Um, And and also, God, that you just guide us um, in trust and rest on you, God, that we would we'd be able to, to know your will, Lord, to do it, to do it in love. Um, and God, I pray that you just would be with each of us, and uh, God, that you just uh, work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Stonebridge Church Sermon of the Week. 